I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever been bored in church? I'll save us both the embarrassment of asking for a show of hands. But I remember being a child and sitting in church and just being bored out of my mind. And in this small Baptist church, I would sit there with the bulletin in my hand and I would just check off the list. Welcome song, prayer, offering. I know no one does this in church, by the way. Sermon, sermon. It took a long time. Sermon. Maybe communion was exciting because we passed the, the heavy trays with the little glass cups and you always hoped that somebody might drop it and then it would be a big to-do. It was so boring. And like, like Corey said or just a little bit ago, it's mostly because I had no clue why we were doing any of those things. No clue why we were doing it. And it does beg the question, though, why? Why do we sing when we gather? Why do we pray together? Why do we baptize and take communion? Why do we preach and listen to God's word? Why do we gather at all? And I think what we'll find as we answer these questions over the next seven weeks is that these things actually have far more relevance to our daily lives than we may have imagined. But we have to know why we're doing them and what we're up to. A few weeks ago, I was playing golf with a friend and he brought his neighbor along. And his neighbor said that he had usually only played golf twice a year. But this year, because of coronavirus and everything that's been canceled and the pace of life changing, he said he's golfed 25 times this year. It's a lot of golf. And I said, I asked a question and I knew the answer. I knew the answer before I even asked it, but I asked it anyways. And I said, have you gotten better at golf because you've played 25 times? What's the answer? No, the answer is no. Here's why. <laughs> the saying that practice makes perfect is incorrect. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you do something incorrectly 25 times, you don't get any better at it. We have to know what we're doing and why we're doing it and then do it intentionally if we're ever going to experience a change or a transformation or a difference in any area of our lives. And we believe that when we come together, when we're sitting in a space like this to worship, when we sing and when we pray and listen to God's word, that it should matter, that it should make a difference in our lives. But that will only happen if we know what we're doing and why we're doing it and then choose to do it on purpose, choose to sit and stand and engage with intentionality. Now, I know that gathering to worship has not looked normal for six or seven months now. And so we've learned a lot of things. We've learned how important and necessary it is for us to be together. But we've also learned that church is not about a day of the week and worship is not about a place. As many of you are experiencing from home right now and have already experienced this morning, to engage in the practices of worship from home may not be ideal, but God meets us where we are. And so we gather together 
to practice worship because we believe that God will do something together for us and with us and in us when we practice these things. Because worship is not about any place, building, time, or day of the week. But here's what worship is. Worship is what happens when Christ followers intentionally practice their faith in such a way that we are drawn into God's purposes for our lives and the world. That's what we're doing when we gather together. What we do together is meant to get into our heads and our hearts our souls and our imaginations, even our bones and our bodies, so that what we do in here doesn't stay in here, but it walks out there. It goes out into the world. In fact, that's why we're calling this series Kingdom Citizens, which I admit at first sounds like a weird title for a sermon series on why we do what we do when we gather to worship. But hang with me. The first thing Jesus says in his public ministry is this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So if you accepted Jesus as your savior, you are first and foremost a citizen of God's kingdom. That's your identity. That's who you are. And when we gather to worship gather locally or even gather digitally. When we gather, we are reinforcing that kingdom identity over and over and over. We're holding up in front of ourselves and saying, this is what God's calling us to. This is who we're meant to be. And it's so important because just by living your daily lives, you are bombarded by messages every single day about what makes for a good life about what a good life is and who is worthy. By media influences and social influences and social media influences, you are continually hit with messages. You're being formed into images and stories about what it means to have a good life, what it means to live a good life and be a good person. And many of those messages are not inherently evil. They're They're not bad, but... They aren't telling you the same story about who you are and what you're meant for that God tells you. And so we gather to worship to be counterformed, to be offered a different story about who we are and what God desires for our lives. When we gather to worship, we are being counterformed for the kingdom by King Jesus. And this morning, we're just going to talk about one of those practices, the role of preaching and how preaching the scriptures and hearing the scriptures is meant to work in this counterformation called worship. If just by living in the world, we get offered all kinds of stories about what it means to live a good life, the scriptures offer you a way into God's story about what makes for a good life. There's a theologian down in Chicago, Kevin Van Hooser, and he said this, Scripture is the script in and through which the Spirit guides God's people into the truth, which is to say, into truthful ways of living. The mission of Scripture is to serve as a script, which when followed, leads us in the way of truth and life. 
He's saying that God's word pulls us in the direction of what God wants for our lives. And when we talk about God's word, we talk about the Bible, we talk about scripture, there are endless things we can say about scripture. But this morning, I just want to answer the question, why is preaching and hearing scripture important for how God wants to form us when we gather to worship? Before we answer it, I want to stop and name what CPC believes about scripture so that we're all starting from the same place. We affirm that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are inspired by God and authoritative to direct the behavior of God's people in matters of faith and practice. So that's what we believe about the Bible. But why is preaching it and hearing it in worship important? Because when we preach Scripture, what we're trying to do is to hold up in front of you like a mirror how God sees your life and what God desires for you, to hold it up in front of you like a mirror. So we're going to be in the book of James Chapter 1, starting in verse 19, if you have Bibles, would encourage you to turn there. It'll be on the screens, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, James 1, 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We'll pause there. He says, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Aren't those words we need right now in our world? Those words Those simple words in and of themselves invite us into an entirely different story about what a good and worthy life looks like. He calls us to come around God's word, not as experts and those who already know everything with ready answers looking to reinforce what the world has already told us about what makes for a good life, but to come ready to listen ready to learn. Some context might be helpful for this passage. James's audience was a group of early Christ followers who seemed very influenced by worldly categories such as rich and poor. You see, they were having a hard time living into their identity as kingdom citizens because they couldn't let go of worldly categories and worldly stories about what makes for a good life and who's living a good life and who's worthy of a good life. So the Bible tells us a particular story about what a good life looks like and what a life that's being redeemed and being saved, and with souls pointed towards the right things. Like, it tells us a different kind of story, and I'm going to name that that story is not the same story that you get from celebrities and self-help gurus and news pundits, politicians, 
Facebook, Instagram, TikTok algorithms. They are not telling you the same story about a good life that the scripture tells you. And I'm not saying that all of those things are bad. What I'm saying is some of us are being far more discipled by the stories we get in the world than we are by Jesus. We're being far more discipled by news channels and social media feeds and social circles because we have a lack of God's word, a lack of a counter story, a lack of a different narrative in our lives. When we come to worship together, we want to hold God's word up in front of you like a mirror so that you see God's story and that it it becomes front and center for our lives together. And then James goes on and he tells us more about how the word works in our lives. He says, but be doers of the word, be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When James wants to talk about the way God's word will transform us, he uses the image of a mirror. And we're familiar with mirrors. Hopefully you used a mirror this morning at some point. Those of you at home may not have used a mirror yet, but hopefully those of you here have. You know what a mirror does. But theologians, when they interpret this passage, disagree on something pretty major. The question is, what do you see in the mirror? Do you see who you should be, or do you see who you really are? Does that make sense? Do you see aspirationally, who Jesus is calling you to be, who you might one day actually be for eternity, or do you look in the mirror and see all of your faults? Do you see the kale in between your teeth and the acne and the running mascara? What do we see? Do we see who we are or do we see who we're meant to be? Might I suggest when we look into the mirror that is God's word, that we actually see both. We see both. The word shows us who we really are, all of our brokenness, and it calls us to who we are meant to be with the promise that God is not done with you. Because the scriptures hold the counterformational story that you are not who the world says you are. You are who God says you are. At CPC, we want to come back to the scriptures again and again so that we hold the mirror up in front of your faces so that you don't walk away and forget it, but that you put it into practice and that it transforms our lives and transforms our life together as a church. We have to know what the text says is meant to do in our lives and then put it into practice so that the word gets up out of the pews 
and out of your living room and walks out into the world. So here's what I want to do. I want to leave you with two questions. Two questions that will help you wrestle with what Scripture wants to do in your life and how it wants to pull you into the story that God is telling about what makes for a good life. First question is this. What does this reveal? To ask of Scripture, any Scripture, what does this reveal? Philosopher and theologian Jamie Smith was reflecting on a different book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And he said something really profound, and I couldn't resist using it. But what I'm going to warn you is, it's a really dense quote. So I'm going to try to walk you through it because I think it's really powerful if we can make sense of it. So hang in there with me. Here's what he said. The point of apocalyptic literature, again, the book of Revelation, apocalyptic literature, is not prediction but unmasking, unveiling the realities around us for what they really are. When the Roman Empire, so the Roman Empire is the context, it is the culture, the world into which Revelation is written. When the Roman Empire pretends to be a gift to civilization and the zenith of human accomplishment, John's apocalyptic perspective, the book of Revelation, Scripture, from a heavenly angle, shows us the reality. Rome is a monster. What he's saying is that the world we live in makes promises to us. Here's what a good life looks like. Here's what you should be doing. Here's how you should be spending your time, your money, your affection. It makes promises. And what he says is if we hold Scripture up to those promises, we'll see their lies, that they always fail us, that they're not sustainable. And we hold God's Word up, and it doesn't just reveal the faults of our world. It reveals the faults in our hearts, that we have bought into lies that we've fallen for false stories about who we are and what it would look like for us to live a good life. Well, thankfully, it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just reveal. It does something else so that we might get in on what God wants to do. The second question is, what can I obey? What does this reveal and what can I obey? If you go online, there are, there's a digital bulletin for this service. And in the sermon notes, there are several books listed that I highly recommend. One of them is by a Presbyterian pastor that passed away a few years ago. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Eat This Book. It's about scripture. It's fascinating. But in it, he says this, obedience is the thing, living an active response to the living God. The most important question we ask of this text is not, what does this mean? But what can I obey? A simple act of obedience will open up our lives to this text far more quickly than any number of Bible studies and dictionaries and concordances. What can I obey? You see, the mirror reminds us not just of who we are, but of who we are meant to be. And then it dares us to do something. 
It beckons us to respond. That scripture is meant to be lived out. It's meant to get up and to walk out the door. None of us, none of us will ever be saved, be redeemed by reading more scripture. We won't be redeemed or saved by correctly reading scripture and trying to obey it. We are only and ever and always redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. His cross does everything for us. It calls us to a new life. But when we read scripture and we put it into practice, it aligns us with that new life that Jesus has redeemed us for. It calls us into something new that's only possible in Christ. Scripture reveals what's underneath the surface so that we won't just spend our lives chasing a mediocre life, pursuing whatever the world dangles in front of us. It reveals and then it calls us to obey, to put our faith into practice so that our lives are changed and transformed and so that it transforms the world that God desires to use us and our lives that way when we put Scripture into practice. Our world feels like it needs lots of transforming these days. And so our leaders have been talking about what can we do together over the coming weeks to make sure that as a church we keep the main thing the main thing and that we don't get distracted or divided by chasing the world's stories about what makes for a good life. And to that end, we've, some of our pastors have put together a resource called Becoming Kingdom Citizens. We want to encourage you to check that out on our Instagram account, on our um, website, even in the, the, the sermon notes in the bulletin has that today. And I'll talk more about that at the benediction. But what I want to point out is we put this guide together about how we can live faithfully together in the midst of a contentious season. And what you'll see is that Scripture is central to it. Because we believe that what we do together, what we do in here, only has a shot at walking out in the world and making a difference if it's rooted in the truths of God's Word. If you notice, the, the graphic for this sermon series is a bunch of heads, silhouettes, as fingerprints. I want to invite you all to look at your fingers. Look at, look at your fingerprints. Some of you might need to get really close. Look at your fingerprints. They're all unique. But what I want you to think about is everywhere you go, you leave fingerprints. Everywhere. And I know this because I'm a neat freak. And I see them all over my phone and all over windows and doorknobs. I see fingerprints everywhere. Just by living in the world, we leave fingerprints. When you came in here this morning, when you walk into this space, you are covered in fingerprints and imprints with messages from the world about what makes for a good life. And those messages might be fine, but they are not the messages that God has for you. And so we hope that when we come together and we read Scripture and we preach Scripture and we hold it up in front of you like a mirror, that when you walk out, that you have a different set of fingerprints on you. That you are imprinted with the story 
of God's faithfulness and faithfulness to the world in Jesus Christ. So that wherever you find yourself, the classroom, the ball field, the boardroom, probably a Zoom call, wherever you find yourself that you might have the fingerprints of God's story all over you, that you would be a kingdom citizen who sees others the way that God sees them and see yourself the way God sees you, that you might boldly and courageously extend to others the invitation that Jesus makes to you. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, We come to you grateful for the ways in which you have loved us so deeply when we did not deserve it. We thank you for the story of your faithfulness to us in the midst of our brokenness, that our stories are not bound up in our abilities to fix ourselves, to be better, even to do good, but to let your goodness be all that we need. So God, as we close out this time, as we finish by singing together and being sent together, that that you would remind us of the story, that it would get deep in our imaginations, deep in our heads and our hearts, deep in our bones, that we would not be the same. Not because we are better, but because you are better. We love you and praise you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.